Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Special Needs Parent Podcast. Today, I have a really special episode lined up for you. And that's because this first episode is going to share the perspectives of two other parents of special needs children. Every time I've done an episode before, it has been a one-on-one interview with another parent or another professional in the field, or it has been my own words that are being shared. But one thing that defines the special needs community is that we all have very unique experiences. There may be themes that carry across most experiences, but there is no one experience that defines what special needs parenting is about. And that's why I love that we have three parents on today. We have Anita Ahuja, we have Morgan Green, and of course we have myself, Marsha Natai Balkisun. So welcome, Anita. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I am really looking forward to hearing what you all have to share with us because you have children, both girls, who come to us with unique special needs. Um, And you have been on a journey yourself from diagnosis into coping and into laying some issues to bed, but still dealing with others. So today we agreed that we were going to explore the emotional ups and downs of special needs parenting as a topic that we want to explore. Could we start with an introduction to both of you? Anita, could you introduce yourself to us, please? Sure. Thanks, Marcia. Um, so my name's Anita. I, um, I live in uh, California, and I um, am a physician. I'm actually a pediatric gastroenterologist. So I, you know, prior to having children, I had a lot of experience with special needs. So I thought um, I have a lot of, you know, kids with G-tubes, feeding issues, bowel issues, et cetera, um, that I see on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, 10 years ago, um, I got pregnant with twins uh, with my husband, Vic, and, you know, it was a pretty joyous time, right? Like, wow, we're having a girl and a boy twins. That's perfect. You know, our lives are, you know, golden. You know, we've been blessed with this. And so um, kids were born early. They were born um, a good almost two months early. Uh, and so, you know, immediately, as soon as the first thought I had with my daughter was she came out too early. That was my first thought. Even though my son was scrawny, he also had an NG tube for feeds in. They were both tiny, side by side in incubators in the NICU. For some, I don't know, intuition, I knew my daughter Dahlia needed to be in there longer. And the first time I saw her, I said, does she have a chromosomal abnormality? You know, being from my medical experience, she looked like she may had something like Down syndrome, for example. So moving forward, you know, she continued to have quite delayed milestones. Um, 
you know, that went on to testing for autism, testing for, you know, other, other things. Um, it was extremely hard because she never fit into one specific bubble. And now at 10 years old, you know, she still doesn't really have a diagnosis, whether it be chromosomal or autism, but she has significant challenges, um, challenges in, in not understanding things like not understanding numbers, for example, not understanding, you know, where we are kind of, you know, very, very um, life, I guess, you know, things that we need to know in life, um, she oftentimes doesn't get. At the same time, she's an absolute joy. You know, she's an absolute joy. She is always happy. She's always smiling. She tries her best not to let life get her down. Um, and given that she hasn't had a specific diagnosis, she never fit into any specific category. So it's hard for her to have friends, for example. It's hard for her to connect. It's hard for her to play in a group because you can't understand what's going on. Um, but somehow she manages to persevere. Um, and so she has taught me so much about that specifically about perseverance and love. Um, and you know, her twin brother, he is a big guy with a big personality, but I see his, his, he suffers more in life just as a human being, um, where he gets bored easier or he's more temperamental. Um, I could go on for days and I don't know when to stop, but all I'm saying is this has been quite a road and I know I still have a really long road to go, so. Thank you, Anita. Uh, we'll definitely come back and pick up some threads in that introduction as we explore the emotional side of this. Let's move on to Morgan. Morgan, could you tell us a little about yourself? Yeah. Your okay. So my name's Morgan. I live in North Carolina um, and I have a three-year-old daughter. She has, um, she, we've had a long journey already at three years old. Um, so I am no, I'm not with her dad anymore. Uh, we didn't, he, he really wasn't part of the picture for most of her life, which it, it's fine. So when I was pregnant, it was, everything was going great, smooth pregnancy. I mean, there was nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden one morning my water broke and it was way too early. And I went in and they were like, oh, you might have her tonight. You might not. Well, then in a couple hours I had her and I was 36 weeks. Um, she came out, they said she had a heart murmur. Um, they're like, oh, that's, that can be pretty typical um, with, uh, if they're premature. Well, then that she had to stay in NICU because she couldn't keep her sugar levels up, her body temperature, everything. Well, then I don't hear from them. I, I, they told me to go to sleep. So I did. And I woke up at like 11 o'clock the next day. I had not heard from anyone. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst mom ever. Like, so I call there to see if I can go see her. And they're like, oh, we'll send a doctor down. And I was like, uh, what? We'll come to find out. Um, they had, they had to have a cardiologist come in immediately because she, I don't want to say crashed, but something happened significantly where she couldn't breathe on her own. Um, they transported her to Charlotte in an ambulance from uh, where I live in Asheville. And she has pulmonary valve stenosis. And that's kind of what jump started everything for us. Um, kind of, that's, I mean, right then and there, my life changed. You know, I, I didn't, I thought she was just going to be like a typical child. 
Well, um, she had heart surgery at three days old. It was successful. She might have to have another one. We don't know, maybe in double digits, but it, it worked. So that, that was amazing. That was huge because we didn't know what was going to happen. And there's nothing like I would not wish that feeling on anyone, not knowing what's going to happen. If the surgery is going to work, is my baby going to die? It, I mean, it changes everything. I mean, life is completely different from, I'm like little things I used to worry about. I don't even care anymore. Like, because it's life. It just shows how short life is. And so that was hard, but we got through it. And they told me to consider genetics testing to see because pulmonary valve stenosis can come with other things like Noonan syndrome. And there's something else. I can't remember what it's called, but, um, so we met with the genetics team and she was, they couldn't find anything at first. I mean, they, it's so complicated with genetics. If you've ever like had to experience that, I mean, it's like a whole nother language. They're like the copies and this and that. Well, so they didn't find anything, but so in between waiting for our next visit, um, we noticed the delays, um, definitely not hitting milestones at a year old. She wasn't even sitting up on her own. Um, she couldn't hold her bottle and, you know, you kind of get people that fight you back when I'm like, she's just, I don't, I don't know. I think she's, I think she's delayed and people are like, Oh no, that baby's fine. There's nothing wrong with that baby. She'll, she'll sit up when she's ready. And as a mom, like, yeah, I, that's what I hope for, but you know, like you just know. So finally her pediatrician was like, okay, you're right. So we started, um, physical therapy and occupational therapy. She was nine months old. Um, she still started very slow, was not meeting milestones. Um, but then one day it's, it's like all of a sudden she just started hitting them. And next thing I know she's crawling. And she was, I think she was over a year old when she first started crawling. Um, and it was kind of, she didn't fit in any specific, like there was, there wasn't like, Oh, she's this, this, and this. She's like, no, she has this problem and this problem and this. And they were like, she is a, like, like we don't know. And it, so she's very unique. We already knew that. Well, she started walking finally after um, her second birthday. And then we, we recently got a developmentally delayed diagnosis, um, which I already knew that. And I, I knew it, it was more to it, but you know, you, you kind of go with what the doctor says. Um, I had a very, I had a huge feeling. I knew that she had autism. I mean, just the sensory issues she's got and with her therapist, they were also very like they, they would help advocate for her. And so they, they're a lot of the reason I am where I am with her is because of her occupational therapist and with all her knowledge and her support. And she pushed through with me and always supported me no matter what. And so I kind of fought back and I was like, no, I want more testing done. The guy who, um, he was, he's an amazing doctor, but he kind of, he still, he did not agree with me. So I, I got a second opinion and she was diagnosed with autism and it made me feel like it's like that double-edged sword. I knew, I knew it, but then again, I did not want that for her. So it was, it was a really, it, it was a hard, it was hard to swallow. Well then genetics calls and you know, they're like, it's time for our let's try again and everything. And so we did genetics again and I finally got her dad to participate, which that it's just the, the timing was insane. Cause he's not really in the picture and he just so happened to pop in. And so I took the opportunity and I got a phone call and she has 
DDX3X syndrome, which is extremely rare. It goes hand in hand with um, autism. I think there's less than a thousand cases in the United States. Um, and it's mostly female. Um, they said there's, there's tons of, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people walking around that have it that don't even know. And now that I've found the foundation, it's a DDX3X foundation on Facebook. And just to see all the similarities, they, they all look alike most of the time. Like, cause my daughter, she has pulmonary valve stenosis. She's got mus low muscle tone. Um, she is delayed. Like she doesn't know normal things. Like, I don't know, like this is home, this is school and just day-to-day -day things like Wednesday. She's like, what is that? Who is that? Like, and she's it, and it, I hate it for her because I, I, I get sad for her, but then I realize I'm like, wait, why am I being sad for her? Because she's happy. She doesn't, like, she doesn't see things how I see it or what she, what I think she's missing out on. And with DDX3X there, like there's lots of interviews and stuff that their child is happy and joyful and just loves people and laughing all the time. Like I go in there to wake her up in the morning and I open the door and she beats me every, every time she was like, good morning, like every day. And I could be in the worst mood and she just she changes everything. She changes the tone. And so many people, even like her therapists and doctors are like, I'm so thankful I got to meet her. She is such a blessing. And it does, it kind of flips everything that has been so sad to hear how special she is and how sweet it just, it's, I don't know, it changes everything. That's amazing. I, I am going to put myself in, in the background a little bit because I've talked about my daughter's issues on other episodes. So I'd love this episode to focus on, on Anita and, and Morgan and their particular experiences. Um, if anything, I'll maybe just contextualize some of my questions using my, my particular experiences related to Emma, my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So joy comes up as something that that we see our children living in. Anita, do you see the same in your daughter? I do, I do. I mean, I think she's she does definitely has a lot of joy in her. And actually, you know, the other day she said, I think joy is my superpower, you know? Wow. And <laughs> so you know. I would have spoken in the episode on gratitude. I think that was my first ever episode about how I would wake up every morning and I would feel so down because there was this load that I'd pick up as soon as I woke up. Um, and my heart would be bleeding for what my child had lost. Yep. And also for what I had lost, right? All our dreams, I talk about just sailing them down the river, right? Because they disappear. Yep. Um, did you all feel that yourself? Because we haven't really talked about your feelings yet. And that's really important. I definitely did. I felt a lot of anger, resentment. I mean, you see all these people in their normal lives, as you'd say. And then I'm like, here I am. You know, I definitely felt that. Like Sometimes the I still do. Mm -hmm. Is that how it felt? Like you were left behind or you were being ignored or what? I, I just felt it was so unfair. I, you know, I would be like, I'm a good person. I do this. I do that. Like, I love everyone. And why did this happen to me? I felt like I was singled out and it's lonely. Does that 
echo how you felt too? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt, you know, there were times when I would feel envious towards other families who had, you know, what are considered normal children um, in, you know, going to activities on the weekends as far as sports. And, you know, my daughter does do some things like she's able to do some dance classes, for example. So she's a, she is able to participate in some things, but definitely, you know, having, having those, you know, large groups of kids around and, and doing, doing those kinds of things, you know, she hasn't, she hasn't really, she's different, you know, she's just plain different. And so, you know, I think envy was one, is one of my, um, emotions that I hate having, you know, like that's mm -hmm. one that I, I don't like, like I don't want to. And, and that's why, you know, I think I, I am constantly working on myself, you know, through, you know, trying meditation, you know, I follow a, a guru named Sadhguru who has, you know, been kind of an inspiration to me in, you know, understanding that we are here on this planet very temporarily and that everybody has their own challenges. Some have good deals, some have bad deals, you know, but what only thing we can control is our mind. And so, you know, I, I'm trying to work on those feelings, but some days it is very hard, you know, it's it very tough, especially during transitions. Like right now, my daughter's, you know, after spending months and months and months trying to figure out what school she should go to. Um, I'm putting her in an expensive school that I can barely afford. Um, and that's bringing a lot of stress and anxiety to, to, you know, what is she going to do there? Is she going to be okay? Will she make a friend? You know, all of those things are very, very hard. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's, it's every day comes with different emotions. Mm -hmm. I, I'm grateful that you opened up about perhaps the hardest um, emotion to share that there's this jealousy that comes up, right? And, and, and I should mention that Morgan is nodding away here because mm -hmm. you're hearing Morgan's voice, but she too is acknowledging, yes, this is something that we feel. I'm saying I feel it as well. Uh, you see, it feels sometimes like the world has moved on and left our children behind and left us behind, right? Yes. Uh, all of these dreams we had for a great life. Morgan, Morgan said, I'm a good person. How, how could this happen to me? I felt like I'd been sold a bag of goods that I didn't buy. Um, I had been told since I was a child, if you are a good person, if you work really hard in school, if you get these qualifications, you'll build this life. I'm an engineer. Um, I'm a university lecturer. And so I've done all the things that I was supposed to do. And poof, it all goes up in, in, in smoke. And I, I don't really have a stable platform to stand on, much less create a life. One for myself, because you do grieve for yourself, right, ladies? Mm -hmm. um, but, but even more so for this child who is so innocent and who is this newborn or this little child, why, why, why should life be so unkind to them? Right. So in my case, I had a friend who had a child two weeks after my daughter was born. My daughter's name is Emma and my friend named her daughter Emma. So I have a two week younger Emma who is 
going forward with all the milestones. And my daughter is 10, bedridden, unable to see, unable to speak, unable to walk, etc., etc. Developmentally, she's not even one year old. And that was really hard because when I spoke to my friend and I said, here's what happened, I got brain injured when she was eight months old. My friend said, oh, don't worry, that will be okay. Everything will be okay. And she hung the phone up and I never heard from her again. And what you feel is isolated, right? Mm -hmm. And you also feel, you feel pain and you feel this jealousy, you feel envy. Because I, I want this for my child. I want community for my child. I want belonging for my child. I want not being othered for my child. And I want those things for me and for my family as well. Does that echo some of the other things that come up for you around? Definitely. So how have you all coped if those things come up for you? How have you coped with isolation and othering? I mean, I've just, you don't have a choice but to cope. And so there for a while, I would put her first because I felt like she deserved, she did not deserve the hand she was dealt. So I, I was definitely envious. Um, I have very similar situation with you when I had my daughter, it was like uh, that one week me and like three or four other girls that I know all had our babies. One was the day after one was a couple of days. And I mean, they're all ahead of Cameron and seeing them go, go home from the hospital first. Like I felt like that too. So then it's like, I eventually had to stop like dwelling on it and it's, it doesn't ever go away. It still happens. Um, those, those days, but I found a poem, my stepmom who actually has passed away now. Um, she sent it to me and it was my trip to Holland. I don't know if you've ever read that poem before, but it, that really like, it helped me so much. I don't know why it's like, it sounds, it's like such a short poem, but it just changed my perspective on everything. And for those who don't know, um, who don't know, this is a comparison of Holland versus where you would have liked to go, right? Could you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that and why it was such a hopeful? So it's like you're getting on a plane and you think you're going to Italy and you pack for Italy and you have all these plans of Italy and you're so excited. And then you land and you get off the plane and you're in Holland and you're like, wait, I didn't pack for this. I didn't plan for it. This is not where I wanted to go. Italy's so pretty. And, and it's just like, yeah, but now that we're here, it is, Holland is pretty. It's different than Italy, but it's okay. Like it's, you still have a good time and it's unexpected and you didn't have any control over it, but it's still beautiful. And it just, for some reason, it just really resonated with me and just, it, I think it was life-changing as dramatic as that sounds, but it was. Yeah. And Anita is nodding. So Anita knows this poem as well. How did it affect you, Anita? You know, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm traveling to Italy. Um, and then when, after I get there, after some time, I'm both in Italy and Holland right? Because I had twins. And so, you know, it was a, 
it was a crazy, it was a crazy comparison where they say, oh, don't compare your children. But at the same time, I know there were times in my life where I was like, you know, my son was at the point where he'd say, you know, mom, I want to go upstairs and get my truck. And my daughter would say, uh, you know, and so the difference was, the difference was astounding. And so, you know, there was my Holland and there was my Italy. And um, I think it was hard to be traveling back and forth between the two, um, you know, whereas I get that both places were beautiful. Yeah. You know, I, I, I sometimes I, because um, I've always had this worry and my husband, he has worry, but he doesn't, he doesn't process that worry to extent where I do. And I used to be upset. Like, why are you not helping me with this? Why are you not finding therapies for her? Why are you not doing your research? But at the same time, I'm kind of glad he didn't because he's able to just see her as she is, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, when I watch videos that he's taken of them when they were little um, and I see her, I see her through his eyes and that's, it seems a much more beautiful place than when I mm-hmm. see, you know, what I felt through my eyes at the time. And so, you know, for, for, for me, I think my challenge has been, okay, what does she do next? Where is she going to go? How is Always she planning spend? ahead. Yeah. Always planning ahead and being in the future and worrying mm-hmm. about the future. And then also the guilt of the past. What could mm-hmm. I have done differently? I should have drank more water while I was pregnant. You mm-hmm. know, I should, maybe I, I didn't take my iron every day or my vitamins every day. You know, maybe I shouldn't have worked. Maybe I should take a time off and, you know, stayed right. in bed. All of those things to say, okay, so I think a lot of it's going backwards and going forwards, yet somehow trying to find that we actually, in fact, live to need to live right now and right here. Um, and that's why, like the beginning of COVID, for example, of course, it was very difficult for everybody, but in some ways, the beginning was actually easier because I got to see her in my own eyes only and not the rest of the world's eyes mm-hmm. you know not that oh you know she didn't play with anybody today she sat by herself at lunch she you know was ostracized or this that like I didn't have to go through that and so right. that was beautiful um and so you know I think it's just every day every day emotions change it's yeah that's that's how I am too and also that's like when the double-edged sword, I think of getting a diagnosis. I know you said your daughter doesn't like have one yet, but the fears, I had the same thing. I felt so much guilt. Like I should have done this. I could have done that. It's my fault. My fault. Well, when we got her final diagnosis, it was, she called it lightning strike. It, she said it happened out of nowhere. There was nothing I could have done her dad as well. And it, it, it was a double-edged sword. It took like 50,000 pounds off my shoulders because I no longer had to blame myself, but then still you still have the diagnosis of, and that little thing in the back of your head is like, well, that intrusive thought, but that's that. I I mean, I definitely do understand how, I mean, cause you dwell on it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. The, the question of what did I do or what did I not do? Mm -hmm. Who was I? was I not? And somehow you, you squash yourself trying to figure out what could I have done better or should I have done better that would have avoided this? When in fact, even if I know I can't change it. Right. But exactly. accepting, accepting is so hard, right? 
It is. It is almost impossible. Like I said, even now, the genetics doctor told me it was not your fault. There's nothing you could have done differently. If you'd done something differently, this is the outcome. It's still, you, I still, well, I think I'll always carry the guilt of somehow it was me, but I think that's just a fact of life now for me. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Um, what about, so Anita is saying, you know, I felt like I was straddling two countries. I was straddling Italy and Holland. And she's also saying, I feel like I straddle. I'm in the present, but I'm straddling the past and the future. I'm always looking to the future and trying to predict what's coming down the pipeline because I need to start putting things in place now. I need to research more now. I need to figure out the equipment she might need now, the therapy she might need now, the knowledge I might need now. Um, in other words, we are on a treadmill now because we are trying to prepare for something that might come. We, we can't predict it. Right. And when we aren't doing that, we are remembering. Remembering back to times when we expected something to be different. Remembering back to the hurt and the times when the unfolding of this, it, this issue was happening. Um, and I read somewhere that when we, when we live so much in the future and look so much in the future, we tend to feel our anxiety dialing up. Um, and when we look so much to the past, we tend to feel depression and sadness dialing up. Is this true for both of you, Morgan and Anita? It is for me. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's really, I've never heard it um, put that way. Um, and that's probably pretty accurate and I'll definitely <laughs> pay attention to my, my feelings and, and seeing that. And so, so you, you mentioned that you follow Sadhguru and I actually have been listening off and on because he's, he's a wise man. Mm -hmm. um, when I listen though, I sometimes hear him. He says, empty your mind, stop worrying about everything else. And, and we hear that being said as being, be in the present, right? We've heard so many people say, be mindful, be in the present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that talk about don't look too much to the future and don't look too much to the past in order to help you dial down that depression and that anxiety tendency. And just let you be in control of what you are in control of now. Because all we have control of today is this very moment that we are in. Nothing else. On the off chance that I am able to do that, because I'm far from perfect at doing something like that. Mm -hmm. On the off chance that I am able to do that, I realize that I have reached the point where Emma lives. Emma's like this proficient person at living in now. She's just all about, here's who I am. I accept it fully. I love this moment and this gift. And I put all of me into doing what I'm doing now, into enjoying the bird that's singing, enjoying hearing daddy's footsteps heading in the right direction, which is toward her, enjoying the song I'm listening to that sort of thing and I've learned so much from her that yes 100 percent so how does your child teach you how does your child support you emotionally 
my daughter, for me, it's just very similar to like how, what you've said in the moment right now, she's like, she's got a toy car and it is the coolest, best car she's ever played with, even though she just played with it yesterday, but today it's so special or the, her <laughs> favorite song comes on. She is on a DMX kick. I'm so, I don't know why, but she, every day that song, she makes Alexa cut it on and it's, it's like she's the first time she's heard it and she's dancing and she's happy. And I just wish I could be like her every day. You know, it would, my day would change, which would change my future too. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Anita, what about you? It's, uh, it sounds very, you know, very, very similar in that, you know, in the car, it's like, even if I'm, I'm getting in the car, I'm in a pretty you know stressed out mood you know my daughter will be like where's your phone I'm putting on you know Shakira Waka Waka you know and it's it's you know non-stop singing um singing and dancing to to Shakira um while we're driving to you know a math tutor to learn you know one plus one at age 10 mm -hmm. you know and so it's it's you know it's this a stress of oh my god you know I'm paying all this money for this tutor that's very remedial yet this child next to me is so happy so joyful she's fine she's fine going to the tutor she's not seeing that she's you know so behind I mean she knows it you know she knows that she is um but you know she definitely has a joy in her that's you know un it's just, I don't know. It's not explainable at all. Yeah. So, you know, caption, hopefully later on in my life, I'm sorry, um, later on in my life, um, as I'm an old lady, you know, I hope to look back on that and see, wow, all that worrying you did, you know, no, she did not go to Princeton or she's, you know, maybe doesn't go to college or maybe she, you know, whatever she ends up doing in her own life, she's fine now. She's um, happy and she's been happy. Right. And I mean, I'm, you know, have an MD and am I always happy? You know, no. And, <laughs> you know, does it say there's definitely not a correlation with the more educated you are, the more happier you are. You right. Know? I think it's maybe a reverse correlation. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the more you think, the more you overanalyze and the more you sink yourself deeper and deeper. Right. Um, so I think what we're seeing is that music really transforms life for our children, right? Yes. My children, it's one of our favorite is John Legend's All of Me. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and he says, I, I am transformed by all your edges and your angles, all your perfect imperfections. And that's one of her favorite lines, actually. So when she is really screaming I'll start singing all of me and and how many times do I have to tell you even when you're crying you're beautiful too that's her favorite favorite line and she begins to squeal in laughter no matter how sad she is music has this magical ability to transform you and to give you something that you are familiar with and in love with and reconnect you does music help you as a parent emotionally as well? What, what works for you? Definitely music has always helped me. It's always been my outlet. I didn't come from a very, um, 
I have a very good family. We were just very um, chaotic. We weren't stable. So music, that's been my go-to since I was little. And so it, it, it is. And so and it makes sense why she loves it so much too, because it, it takes you somewhere else, I think, in a good way. Right. And how about you, Anita? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we all, we, we do we do do a lot of music, you know, in, in our house. Um, in the car, we have to take turns, you know, picking a song, for example. And, you know, my son's songs drive me crazy because they're all, you know, young <laughs> rappers. But, um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, it, it gives us a connection also. And it gives us an, a way to kind of, you know, be together without you know being together kind of I don't know if that makes mm -hmm. sense but it does yeah just enjoy just to enjoy the moment it's music it really allows us to enjoy the moment yeah one of the things I like to do with music is I'll sit next to M or lie next to M and I'll make up songs for her you know and I get to play with my with my words and make up my own tunes and it I guess it's it's fantasy for me. It's separating myself from how heavy a woman might be and breaking my brain's connection to this moment because I'm off making some song. And it doesn't have to be any perfect song because my child doesn't judge it. I do the same thing. I always make up the weirdest songs and it works and she loves it. And it's funny. I never really thought about that until you said something that you make you make up random songs and I I've done that since she was I mean since I can remember and it's almost like this subconscious outlet maybe because it we could be having the worst day and then I start singing to her about chicken nuggets because I just want her to eat them <laughs> and she doesn't judge me she doesn't care she thinks it's great <laughs> so sometimes I record them on an audio recorder on my phone mm -hmm. so I've been able to listen to a song that I sang her like six years ago and she would remember it because she's hearing me singing a song I haven't sung in years, but she's squealing and kicking because she liked it. I need and, to do that. Oh, yeah, we make up things on the spot and we forget the tune after, right? Yep. <laughs> so sometimes I record it and that has made a difference too because it brings back some joyful memory that I forgot, but the music it's is... Connection. It's a connection with the child too. Yep. So we have heard a couple of times, you know, when I got this um, diagnosis or when this realization came to me that it wasn't as, as we, we expected. Um, it caused me to have an emotional journey start, right? I remember in my case, it was disbelief. In my case, finding out that Emma was had four problems in her heart and so on, came because of me counting fingers and coming up with one more. The doctors had not found any problems. They had not checked thoroughly. They had not told us anything. So I actually counted, got six fingers on one hand. My husband is a biology teacher and he, he started to cry and he said, Marsh, something could be wrong with her internal organs. I'm going to get the doctor to check. And that's how we found the four problems in the heart, including pulmonary stenosis, um, like Morgan's child. And um, that led us to have open heart surgery. And then the mistake that the doctor made after she was recovering 
that pulled out a tube and caused her to bleed out and get brain injured. So I remember feeling a sense of being lost, like a fog, um, because you're trying to figure out which way is up. Surely this is all turned around and I'm not understanding. Um, and I think disbelief, doubt and fear, but also a sense of shock and not knowing how to, how to get a sound, a, a, a level footing. Um, how, how was that experience for you all? What was your experience as you came to terms with a diagnosis or knowing? I'm, when I first found out, it started with the pulmonary valve stenosis um, and that she had had surgery at three days old. I just, it was shock and it was disbelief. And it was immediate. I felt lonely, scared because I didn't have someone to be like, Hey, your child went to this. How did that go? Or, and I, it was like a whole new world for me. And just, that's when the isolation started. And the, just, it was like this domino effect of sad emotions. And then I didn't have the support from her dad. I didn't have her, him to lean on, which caused more resent resentment and anger and it's very lonely because you, I didn't have anyone else. It was just me. So it was like me having to step outside of my body and be there for me too, because that's, or I had nothing. So that, that was really hard, but you somehow you get through it. <laughs> some days, some days you don't, but some days you do. Yeah, and you're standing here today, right? So you have gotten through it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Anita, how about you? Well, I mean, for me, I think it was more of a roller coaster because I never did get a diagnosis. Um, and I've actually been thinking about going back to the geneticist now and saying, you know, now there's a lot more, you know, intellectual disability like genes that, um, you know, and, and I, I, for a while I said, what's the point, what's the point, but as Morgan said, you know, it, 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 you know, comes with a whole wave of emotions, both good and bad. And I think maybe I should go forward with that. I um, think that you yeah. should, I think that you should, I've, I felt the same way as you, I kept getting, we, I can't tell you how many times they would call dead end, dead end, dead end. And I was like, well, you know what, who cares, but I don't have to look anymore. Yeah. I'm done. My search is over. Yeah. And I, now I know, I don't know our future, but I know the path. Yeah. 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 And to be able to find a community to see, you know, if this is, this is so, so yeah, that's, you know, I haven't had that, um, that one moment, um, but it's, it's been a roller coaster. It's, it's just, it's just every, every year, something different with her. And, you know, I think that um, also I'm sorry, I kind of lost your question, Marsha, along the way. How have you dealt with, in your case, it's not a diagnosis, it's a knowing. Yes. How did that affect you emotionally, coming to terms with that and finding a footing for yeah. yourself? Yeah, I think, um, I think I'm fortunate to have a lot of friends and family support. Um, you know, nobody that may understand exactly what I go through. Um, but at the same time, you know, 
being able to occasionally, not always, right? Because nobody wants to hear it that often. Nobody wants to hear it. Um, but, you know, being able to go and lie on my sister's sofa and cry, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, and I think doing things for myself. So during COVID, for example, I decided to take up a hobby of jewelry making, for example, and that felt very therapeutic to me and to be able to try to put myself first and go for walks and go for, you know, get on the Peloton and do these things, not only to show myself, but to show my children, you got to continue to do things for yourself, no matter what, no matter how hard it is, just continue to find those small pockets of where, what's going to make you feel better, what's going to make you happy. But that's been my yeah, that's that important. That's hard. Yeah. Really There's size that I do sometimes um, that shows me that shows me where I've come. I, I sometimes pause and I say, you know what? It feels like everything is falling down all around me. And I, I, I'm juggling so hard and I still can't keep all the balls in the air. Um, and I, and I pause sometimes because perspective helps. And I say, Marsh, if you look back at the Marsh you were five years ago, how would younger Marsh perceive you now? And I think younger Marsh would say, wow, look at how far you've come. Look at how much you've grown. Look at how much you've endured and learned. And look at all the ways you've helped somebody else or helped yourself. That ability to see me as a separate person and not always be judging myself by what I'm late on, behind on, imperfect on, that has brought a lot of freedom to me. Because I am a work in progress. I was never meant to be perfect. None of us were. But we hold such judgment around ourselves more than everybody else, I think. For sure. A question I ask myself is, if a friend came to me and had this problem that I'm struggling with, or is having a breakdown, or is harshly judging herself, what would I tell her? I would never tell her, yes, you're a failure. Um, I agree, these are all the ways that you are not good enough. I'd never say that. I would say, look at how much you've done. Look at how wonderful you are. Take a break, right? How can we be so kind to others, yet so unkind to ourselves in our harshest moments? And so learning how to press pause on our runaway judgmental self what ourselves has become a really massive um, tool for me. Learning to be gentle, shifting and making my new motto, progress, not perfection. I only have to cope first. After I cope, I can learn to make progress past here and I never have to reach perfection. And that's not something I ever grew up learning. 
perfection was the only standard. But relearning it has come because of my daughter. My daughter is not meeting any milestones. She's still not past one year and she's 10 years old. Um, but she's the happiest girl I ever knew. And I think that she is more deeply connected to herself, to her spirit and her purpose than I am. And therefore, if I had to judge my success and hers, I'd say she's more successful than me mm -hmm. living her life's purpose. So she has taught me to let go and to shift into that progress, not perfection. I don't need to measure by those milestones. I don't need to stress about if she's, in her case, able to say, ah, properly, right? Or able mm -hmm. to say this thing that I hold. That's a man-made judgment, right? So I've gone into, in Hinduism, my husband is a Hindu, I'm a Presbyterian, but I, I read about all these different religious beliefs from all the different religions. And I believe um, in Hinduism and as in some other spiritual contexts, it's believed that we come here to live out a soul's purpose. Mm -hmm. That there's a journey that we come to have um, and that we are here to learn and to serve and to grow. And that we actually choose this journey. I have sat and said, well, you must be really a stupid person to have chosen this journey. I said the same thing. <laughs> like, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. Right? I've said to myself, gosh, you chose this. This is ridiculous, right? Um, and I've cried about the things my daughter has to deal with. Mm -hmm. And about the pain that we have around journeying with her on this journey but when I think about that context and it's it's sometimes a context that I have I am like if this is so it sure makes sense how accepting she is of her journey she is there to live it in joy and fullness and she doesn't worry about what anybody else thinks about her inadequacies. I worry about what others think about me. I worry about what others say about her. I worry about them saying she's not good enough or she's, she's a, a semi-person. Sometimes mm -hmm. I go to a hospital recently, just last month I went to a hospital, she had broken her leg in a seizure. And I went to the hospital and they treated her as subhuman. And it was heartbreaking for me. It, I felt a lot of resentment and hate and all these things because she wasn't diagnosed with that break until eight days had passed and I had gone to three different doctors. And she had been living with a broken femur, which was her thigh bone for eight days while I moved her and caused her severe pain all because nobody cared enough to look at my child closely enough. And so these are also the emotional journey mm -hmm. milestones. 
the feeling of physical pain and emotional pain on behalf of our child who cannot express it. The wishing that people would see the beauty of our child instead of seeing the external and right. judging our that. Those are certainly um, big milestones in the emotional journey of, of us, especially as parents. But the flip side of that is a transcendent joy that also characterizes this life we live with our special needs children. I've never felt this amount of joy before Emma came into my life. And I think in part it's because I was distracted by other things before life came into focus and I understood what really mattered. And now, so I've had caregivers who have literally stolen things out of my home and so on when I'm not here. And I would get angry early on in my time with them. Um, we came back with them at eight months and somebody had gone through all of my things and reorganized. So I would never know what was gone and what wasn't gone. And I never checked. It's now nine years later and I've never checked because I care not about those material things anymore. Right. Yep. What matters is the love of our child, the life of our child, the presence and their light in our life is what we treasure. That's the jewel that I have. And so I really don't give <laughs> about anything else. Um, I suspect from, from seeing your faces that you all have come to very similar uh, places yes. in life, but let me hear your perspectives. Well, that's like, I think at the beginning, when I told you, I, when I first found out she had pulmonary valve stenosis and you know, she gonna live, she not, it just changed everything. It's where like, I don't care about that shoe is that matching or did my someone take this or someone stole that for me? Cause I've had very similar situations, but it was more, it was family, not caregivers, but, and it's the same. I, I'm now I'm just like, I can't even, I can't even go there. I don't care. Like if you needed it that bad, because what's in front of me is my daughter and there, I could be living my life without her right now. And that is, that is that thought this, of her being stolen from me rather than $50 is do you take everything I have, take my money, take my house, take my car, take it, everything. Just, I have her and that's all I need. And it, it, it does, it, it changes everything, your perspective of life in a good way. Yeah. I mean, I've never felt the joy I've felt when she's around me. Like there is nothing, there is nothing in my life ever, whether it be, you know, before I had children trips, you know, vacations, um, hanging out with friends at, at bars until 2am, you know, all of those things we've all, you know, felt were, you know, so fun and so important at the time, you know, there is no joy like I feel when she is lying on top of me asleep, you know, or sitting next to me, you know, playing with her dolls, you know, it's just, she's an unbelievably beautiful person. And I, as a mother every day, I'm going to keep on believing in her and then keep believing and keep believing and keep believing 
um, because what she has given me, I feel is thousands of times more than, than I give her. She always tells me, uh, mom, I love you more than you love me. And I said, no way, that's not even a possibility. You know? <laughs> so, so, you know, she does, she gives me a lot of joy. I think my, my heartache comes from letting her out of my sight, going to school, you know, oh my God, is she happy? Is she not happy? Is she making friends? Are kids snickering about her? But when I pick her up, it's waka waka again in the car, <laughs> you know? So, so um, you know, instead of thinking, okay, I don't know, she's not telling me, maybe she did have a bad day and she won't tell me. Maybe she just lets it go. Maybe that's something we all need to learn because that's an amazing quality. Yeah. That's like a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's all wise children. And we are learning how to learn from them. So ladies, I think this is maybe the first of two episodes together because I would love to have you back to talk about the family experience, the special needs brother or sister, the parent other than you, how, how interactions happen, how your relationship um, with a special other or a spouse, right? So how, how do you make time for that? What kind of experiences do you have? What about the extended family experience? So maybe we could talk about that journey on a future episode. How do y'all feel? Yeah, I mean, I feel like because she married, I'm not married. Um, and it's two totally different worlds, but I bet we would probably have very similar, similar things going on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you two on. Thank you for opening up and being so very honest. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Marsha. This is wonderful. Thank you it for was. allowing us to share our stories. I love it. It is nice to be heard. I love hearing you too, because the only way that more of us can feel less alone is by us saying to people, you don't have to be physically touching my hand for me to hold your hand. And getting podcast, this podcast or other resources out to other parents like us who might be just starting or who might be in the middle of the journey and needing some support is as easy as sharing a link. Mm-hmm. So, um, I count myself lucky to have two new friends. <laughs> it's so good to have gotten to know you all and connected with you all. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. You too. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye-bye.